Well, I trust that you've had a blessed week basking in that feast of God's Word we had last weekend uh, on uh, Rejoice and Tremble, that very significant subject of the fear of God, and I'm so grateful for our brother Jared Gilcher and his ministry to us. In fact, when before he left, I told him, I said, bro, I am so glad your church is in Arlington and not in Conroe, because there'd be no one here at Lakeside including me. I'd be going down to Conroe to hear you preach, bro. Um, but anyway, uh, what, a, what a blessing, what a joy that was uh, for us as a church. And I, 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 what I want to do this morning is just pick up where Jared left off last Sunday regarding the fear of God and springboard off of a phrase from the text that he preached on in Ecclesiastes. You remember he was in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, And uh, the title of his sermon was, Beware of the God, Remembering Who It Is That We Worship. And the opening verse of that text says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen, rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. That phrase jumped out at me last Sunday, and it dawned on me that that is one of the most overlooked and underrated aspects of worship, that is, listening to God speak to us through His Word. And whenever we gather together as God's people in God's house to worship Him, we come together to sing, we come to pray, we come to serve, we come to give but we also come to listen. My friend Donald Whitney, in his classic book, Spiritual Disciplines Within the Church, has a chapter uh, called Why Listen to Preaching in the Church. And, And I love what he said. Listen to his words, and I quote, reverently and responsively listening to God's word preached is one of the highest forms of honoring and worshiping God. We normally think of worship as something we do, and since preaching is done by the preacher and not us, many fail to think of preaching as worship. But listening to preaching is something you do, and it is an act of worship when you listen with an eager mind and responsive heart. The reason it is an act of worship is that you are listening to God speak through his word. And then he quotes author and theologian J.I. Packer who said this, congregations never honor God more than by reverently listening to his word with a full purpose of praising and obeying him once they see what he has done and is doing and what they're called to do. And Whitney ends this paragraph by saying this echoes the conviction of the great church reformer of the 1500s, Martin Luther, who wrote, the highest worship of God is the preaching of the word. Not sure you ever thought about it that way before, but really the high point or the climax of any true worship experience is God's people hearing him speak through his word and then obeying what they've heard. 
Whenever we come before God, He not only wants to hear our voices as we sing and as we pray to Him, but He wants us to hear and heed His voice as His Word is taught. Hearing and heeding the voice of God is a critical part of the kind of worship that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And it's no wonder that almost every book of the Bible contains some reference to listening to and obeying God's word. And yet, how ironic that most of the focus is typically placed on the preacher rather than the listener. And yet the Bible gives far more instruction about listening than about preaching. Now, we would all agree that it's without question that God is very concerned about how preachers preach. But again, based on the sheer number of references to hearing and listening in the pages of Scripture, God is obviously just as concerned, if not more concerned, about how listeners listen. And in order for you to get something out of the sermons that you hear, you as a listener need to partner with the preacher so that the word of God accomplishes its purpose of changing your life. And it's sad to me that this this powerful partnership between the preacher of the word and the listener of the word, or maybe you could say the partnership between the pulpit and the pew has been virtually overlooked in the church today. For example, there are countless books written to preachers on how to preach. I've got lots of resources to help me be a better preacher. But there's only a handful of books that I'm aware of or even articles that have been written to listeners on how to listen, how to become a better listener. In fact, it was some 25, 30 years ago when somebody gave me a copy of Jay Adams' book called A Consumer's Guide to Preaching, How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. And the first thing that struck me was the picture uh, on the front cover. And it was honestly, it really was a kind of a goofy cartoon-looking picture of of a one person sitting in the front row, the front pew, and he had these really over exaggerated ears. But just the title also intrigued me, A Consumer's Guide to Preaching, How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. I thought, man, I've never even thought about this subject before. And so I ended up reading that book and was so encouraged by it, I actually taught a little mini-series to the students at Grace Community Church about how to be good listeners. Fast forward uh, some 10 years, I guess, and I was invited to go to Indy to preach on or to teach uh, for a week uh, in a seminary there with our guys that we support over there on, uh, and the whole subject was on expository preaching. And so day after day after day, I taught on this subject of expository preaching. And so I jumped on the plane, I think on a Friday night or Saturday morning, and with the time change, that would get me back Saturday night so that I could preach on Sunday morning. And so I had basically that 24-hour flight to figure out what I was going to preach that next Sunday. And so, of course, all this expository preaching stuff was fresh in my mind, and I thought, you know, really the the logical application of expository preaching is expository listening. And so I preached a message that morning that I actually wrote from India to here in 
different clubs, you know, uh, flight clubs and 30,000 feet over the Atlantic Ocean and it's just some of those sermons that just come to you uh, in the strangest places, right, are very memorable, at least for the, the preacher. And so I titled it Preaching for Dummies, How to Get the Most Out of a Sermon. And not to insult the intelligence of the folks that were there at the time in our church, but that's what I decided to call it. Well, it was about that same time that I jumped into a, a doctoral program, and it was uh, with an emphasis on expository preaching. And one of the requirements of that program was you were to write some kind of dissertation um, in the lines of, along the lines of expository preaching. I thought, man, what in the world am I going to contribute to that subject that's already been so well written on? And so the Lord brought to mind this whole subject of, of listening, and I remember Jay Adams' book that I had read years ago, and I thought, man, who even knows about that book? That, that book didn't get the airtime it, it needed or should have had, and so maybe that needs to be updated in some way, and so I ended up with your help, right, writing expository listening. Uh, you endured, at least those of you that were here at, at the time, uh, back in the mid-2000s, uh, um, uh, endured 12 sermons on how to listen to, to sermons. Kind of the strangest sermon series ever, right? A sermon series on how to listen to sermons. And so you guys were very, very helpful um, as kind of guinea pigs, if you will, uh, to test out that whole uh, concept. And uh, as you know, I still get invited from time to time to, to go uh, and preach on that at, at different churches. I had the opportunity just a, a few weeks back to preach back-to-back at different churches on this subject. And uh, in fact, I got a text from... Uh, one of the pastors uh, just this week who said that they had got a bunch of books, expository listening books, our book, uh, that they're going to be going through in their home groups this fall. And so it's kind of fun uh, just to see how the Lord is using what uh, we discovered as a church uh, that was so important that other churches are finding it very, very helpful. So um, I was also thinking about, so it's fresh on my mind having just preached it, um, recently, but I also was thinking, you know, we're launching into our season of grow groups, a, a new year of grow groups together, and the majority of, of our grow groups, seven out of ten of our grow groups, uh, do sermon application, and which really came out of that whole concept of, hey, let's stop having, uh, you know, multiple Bible studies. That's what that's what we're good at, at at a Bible church is to study the Bible. But nobody ever, you know, it's like we don't have we we're studying the Bible so much we don't have time to apply it and actually process what we just heard. And so let's time out and say, okay, we just heard a message. What are we going to do about it? How, how should our lives change as a result of what we just heard? Rather than just having one sermon go in one ear and out the other after another sermon going in one ear and out the other. Again, it's just, just this information dump that we're getting all the time. God gave us his word not just to give us information, but for transformation, right? To transform our lives. And so um, this is a good time, I guess, to remind those of you that are in grow groups uh, that do sermon application, and that's where the sermon sheet uh, comes in handy, right? Um, that, uh, again, this kind of was born out of kind of a, a practical way for us to do a better job uh, holding ourselves accountable to making sure that we're not just being hearers of the word who delude themselves, who deceive themselves, thinking, look at me, I heard another sermon, Pat yourself on the back, good for you, right? No, you're deceiving yourself unless you do something, right? Don't just be merely hearers of the word, but doers. What are you going to do about it? How is it going to change your life? 
And so this morning, I just want to remind us, and especially for those of you that are newer to the church, um, this is so much of who we are. This is like part of our culture as a church. In fact, the, the book we give away, and those of you that sign up for the Life at Lakeside class, I'm not trying to... Uh, um, incentivize you here, but you get a copy, a free copy of Expository Listening as, as kind of the gift at the end of the class. Um, because this is like, hey, this is, this is our heart as a church. And if you understand this book, you'll understand our church and what makes us tick. And so um, anyway, this is really an attempt to provide an overview of that book. This is the cliff notes, if you will, uh, or the trailer or whatever um, that uh, would maybe... Um, create an appetite to, if you've not read it yet, to kind of dive into it and, and read through it maybe sometime soon. So the, the overarching statement here is very simple. In order to experience maximum life change from the sermons that you hear every week and ensure that God and his word are honored and glorified through your life, you must be mindful of and faithful to four responsibilities whenever you listen to God's word preached. So that's what I want to focus on, those four responsibilities that you need to be mindful of and faithful to whenever you listen to God's word preached. So, number one, the first responsibility is appreciation. Appreciation. You must understand the gravity of hearing God's word preached. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this really was the launching point to our series on expository listening. Years ago, I was teaching through 2 Timothy, and I got to this classic text about preaching in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I saw some things that I never really saw before, and I made some connections that I had never connected before between preaching and listening. And of course, these are the the, the famous last words of the Apostle Paul to his young disciple Timothy. And this is what he said. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And I think what I saw that I had never seen before, that the importance of listening is really ultimately based on the importance of preaching. John Calvin often instructed his congregation about rightly hearing the word of God, and he stressed proper hearing because of his high regard for preaching. And so a right understanding of how to properly listen to God's word really begins with and, and flows out of a right understanding of how God's word is to be properly preached. And so before addressing the subject of biblical listening, you have, to, you have to talk about biblical preaching. And we have in front of us, again, I've already said this, the classic text in God's word on the true nature of biblical preaching. And the word preach there in verse two is the word keruxon in the Greek, which means to proclaim as a herald. 
In other words, that a preacher is to speak on behalf of the king. We are to tell people what the king said. Somebody mentioned to me this morning, they were thanking me, a young person was thanking me for, you know, uh, having something to say every Sunday. (laughs) I said, well, listen, if it was up to me to come up with something to say every Sunday, I wouldn't be doing this. I would have been out of this a long time ago, but I have a, a great source of information, right? I've got great content to work with. And so we need to understand that biblical preaching is when the Bible is the sole source and subject of every sermon. That's a very simple definition of a biblical preaching, when the Bible is the sole source and subject of every sermon. In other words, what the preacher says comes directly from a verse or passage in the Bible. And the meaning of that verse or that passage is literally explained in its historical and grammatical context and then principalized into a timeless truth that relates to people's lives today. And this method of of preaching is referred to as biblical exposition or what we know as expository preaching. I love Wayne Grudem's definition of biblical preaching in his book, Bible Doctrine. He said this, quote, throughout the history of the church, the greatest preachers have been those who have seen their task as being to explain the words of Scripture and apply them clearly to the lives of their hearers. Essentially, they stood in the pulpit, pointed to the biblical text, and said in effect to the congregation, this is what this verse means. Do you see that meaning here as well? Then you must believe it and obey it with all your heart, for God himself, your creator and your Lord, is saying this to you today, end quote. And I think in that last sentence, Grudem put his finger on the profound gravity of hearing God's word preached. When he said this, quote, God himself is saying this to you today. In other words, whenever a a preacher faithfully explains the Bible, it is God talking, not the preacher. You're not just hearing the words of the preacher, but you're actually hearing the words of God. And this was the conviction of faithful preachers in the Bible when Jeremiah was uh, describing his call to ministry. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 9, he said that God told him, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Peter, in 1 Peter 4.11, said this, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the very utterances of God. This was the conviction of many throughout church history. John Calvin, again, said pastors are the very mouthpieces of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book on the Puritans, said this, quote, in faithful exposition of the word, God himself is preaching, and if a man is giving a true exposition of Scripture, God is speaking because it is God's word and not the word of men. And then John Stott, the late British expositor, remarked that in true biblical preaching, the voice of the preacher is ultimately drowned out by the voice of God. So, understanding this supernatural dynamic of biblical exposition that when a man is faithfully preaching the word of God, it is actually the voice of God being heard, that should cause you 
to pay very careful attention to what's being preached. In fact, that's why Paul commended the believers in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it actually is or what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And the spirit of God had used Paul's preaching of the word to transform the lives of these idol-worshiping pagans. Why? Because they had welcomed the word with open arms and appreciated and accepted his preaching for what it really was. This is God speaking to us. Well, unlike the church in Thessalonica, there's an increasing lack of appreciation for biblical preaching in the church today. Not only does the average church goer these days no longer appreciate biblical preaching, they won't even tolerate it. Which shouldn't come as a surprise in light of the warning that Paul gave to Timothy, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, look at verse 3 there. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Beloved, we are living in that day that Paul prophesied where the majority of churchgoers want to hear or want preachers to tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And if given a choice, I think most prefer listening to light, entertaining, topical talks filled with jokes and stories and life lessons rather than deep, challenging, doctrinal sermons filled with practical implications for our lives. And that's why if they feel like the preacher is stepping on their toes, making them feel uncomfortable, they either run them out of their church or they go find another church that tickles their fancies and makes them feel good about themselves. I think there's a a simple but profound principle taught here in this text that could be easily overlooked. I mean, this passage is obviously about how to preach, but it's also about how to listen. And while the emphasis is on the preacher's responsibility, I think the listener's responsibility is clearly implied. And the warning that Paul gave to Timothy that he would stand before God someday and have to give an account of how he preached the word, I think also applies to all those who listen to the word preached. And I would suggest to you that at the Bema seat, the listeners will stand alongside the preachers and be held accountable for their part that they played in the preaching of God's word. And while the preachers are being judged and rewarded based on their biblical responsibility to faithfully explain and exhort the word, the listeners will be judged and rewarded based on their biblical responsibility to carefully hear and heed God's word. This might seem like a strange concept at first. Maybe you've not heard this before or thought of this before, but 
The Puritan preachers frequently exhorted their congregations to listen to their sermons in light of this looming liability. Richard Baxter, for example, said this, quote, remember that all these sermons must be reviewed and you must answer for all that you've heard, whether you heard it with diligent attention or with carelessness, and the word which you hear shall judge you at the last day. Hear, therefore, as those who are going to judgment to give an account of their hearing and obeying. Thomas Watson, another Puritan pastor, said this, quote, you must give an account for every sermon you hear. The judge to whom we must give an account is God. How should we observe every word preached remembering this account? Let all this make a shake-off distraction and drowsiness in hearing and have our ears chained to the word. Hopefully that woke somebody up who was dozing off this morning, which we all are tempted to do, right, when we sit under the teaching of God's word. So whenever we sit... And listen to a sermon. By the way, it's not doesn't just apply here on Sunday mornings, because we live in a generation where you can listen to so many sermons in, in any given week, right? With podcasts and you know YouTube and you know you name it, you can listen to the greatest preachers all over the planet um, multiple times. So what should be what should be in the forefront of our minds? when we're listening to preaching is, is that day when we will be judged and rewarded based on how receptive and responsive we were to that preached word that we heard. So, number one, you must understand the gravity of hearing God's word preached. Appreciation. Secondly, is anticipation. Anticipation. You must prepare your heart before hearing God's word preached. You must prepare your heart before hearing God's word preached. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 is the familiar parable of the sower, better titled, I think, as the parable of the soils, because it's, it's a lot more about the soils rather than it is about the sower. And again, for the sake of time, we won't read this uh, parable. I am assuming you are familiar with this well-known parable. But I want to point out how it, it provides a crucial insight regarding the listener's responsibility in preaching. Because this entire parable, whether you realize it or not, it's all about hearing and obeying the preaching of God's word. Notice verse 8. As he said these things... Again, right in the middle of him telling this story, this parable, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is, the, this is Jesus, right? And this is not just once, but multiple times he would cry out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, you got, you got ears? I see them. They're there on the side of your head. You got those? Use them. Listen up. Pay attention. Look at verse 18. So, this is at the end of this, the explanation of the parable. So, take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. 
And you might think, well, that's the end. Well, then notice verses 19 through 21. And his mother and brothers came to him. They were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So the overall lesson of the parable of the soils is listening to God's word preached has more to do with our hearts than it does our ears, actually. And as you know, Jesus used four kinds of soil to illustrate four kinds of hearts on which the word, the preached word, lands. Some have a a, a stubborn, unreceptive heart. That's the road soil. Some have a, a shallow, superficial heart. That's the rocky soil. Some have a, a worldly, strangled heart. That's the, the thorny soil. And some have a soft, receptive heart, and that's the good soil. And so how we respond to God's word really depends on the condition of our hearts. It's interesting to me to think about this, that every one of you is hearing the same exact message this morning from the same exact preacher but you won't all respond in the same exact way. Why is that? Same exact message, same exact preacher. Why won't you all respond in the same exact way? Because you've all come to church today in different conditions. Your hearts are not all the same condition. And in order for the seed of God's word to plant itself deep in your heart so it flourishes and, and produces fruit in your life, the soil of your heart must be properly prepared. And let's be honest, at, at times our hearts may become hardened to the word. The writer of Hebrews talks about um, our hearts being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And sometimes our hearts need to be broken up and softened to make them ready to receive the word. The prophet Jeremiah talked about breaking up the fallow ground to receive his messages from God. And and fallow ground is ground that's been plowed, but it just has these big clods of dirt that, that need to be broken up and smoothed out. I have a vivid picture of this in my mind as a, as a young boy growing up in Massachusetts, and my mom and dad had this, this huge garden, and literally it was the size of this room. There was no little backyard garden. This is like the, the, he, my dad would get the, our neighbor, who was a farmer, every spring to come through with his tractor and plow and plow this piece of ver- land up, and then I always remember him taking off uh, the plow and putting on the harrow, right? Because when you go through with a the plow, there's these big furrows and it's all mounted up, these big clods of dirt. And he'd put that harrow on the back of a tractor, come flying back through, back and forth across that garden area and break up all that stuff and smooth it out so it's all ready to be planted. It's a great picture of what we need to be doing with our hearts throughout the week to make sure we come without, with a, not a whole bunch of clods in our heart on Sunday mornings. C.H. Spurgeon said this, we are told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted, but we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. 
which do you think needs the most preparation, the sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than by the preacher. In other words, I don't know, you, you, you know what I'm doing all week, right? I'm getting ready for Sunday morning, and I'm preparing a message. My question is, what are you doing? Are you preparing your heart for the message? Because the most well-crafted sermons will fail to change your lives if they're not received by well-cultivated hearts. And so you need to learn how to harrow your heart so it's ready to receive God's word. In fact, I have a whole chapter in that book, um, Expository Listening, about how to harrow your heart, 10 ways to harrow your heart. Let me just give you one by way of example for the sake of time, and that is simply plan ahead. Plan ahead. And it's the, the old principle, um, Sunday morning starts Saturday night. In other words, don't wait for Sunday morning to figure it all out. Um, that's why you have what, what I call the Sunday scramble, and I'm not talking about what you're eating for breakfast, Okay. The Sunday scramble is what happens in most Christians' homes as they're trying to get ready to go to church because they're trying to figure out what's for breakfast and what they're wearing and, and where's the baby bottle and where's the bag and the tro- stroller's got to get in the car and all this stuff. And it's just like chaos on Sunday morning trying to get everybody dressed and fed and, and, and the, 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 the minivan packed up and headed to church, right? Well, why don't you do some of that stuff on Saturday night? Think about what you're going to wear. Uh, think about where the stuff is. Let's pack the diaper bag. Let's put the stuff in the car that we're going to need. Let's maybe even set the table for breakfast. Let's put the cereal boxes out there so we don't, you know, um, and uh, what are we trying to, you're trying to avoid the, the, what happens on Sunday morning, right? When everybody's rushing around and dad's in the, you know, the car laying on the horn while mom's kind of putting her lipstick on in the house and they get in the car. They're not happy with each other. And the kids are, you know, pulling each other's hair in the back and whatever, pinching each other. That's what I, my sister and I used to do anyway. Um, see who could, like, pull each other's hair. And the first one that, you know, yelled, lost, you know. So um, anyway, and then you get, you know, it's just chaos in the car. And you come into the church parking lot. And all of a sudden you open the doors and somebody says, hey, how you doing? You're like, good morning, brother. Good morning, sister. It's like it's the parking lot miracle, right? Something happens. No, come with a spirit of worship. And then you're, you're coming in late and you're dropping the kids off and you come and finally plop down and you're just exhausted and you're frazzled and you're in no state to hear the word of God preached. So just plan ahead. Another simple thing you can do, and this was a great reminder, even this morning, I received an email this morning from a member of our church who said, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you this morning um, as you preach God's word. Well, guess what? That tells me that person was thinking ahead and praying for me, um, knowing that, that the word of God was going to be preached. And as they prayed for me, I guarantee you that was preparing their own heart, right, to, to, to sit under the teaching of God's word. So pray for your preacher. That's a great way to ready your heart. Pray for your equipping class teacher. Uh, pray for your small group leader, your grow group leader. That's a good way to prepare your heart for what you're about to receive. So Number two, you have to prepare your heart before hearing God's word preached. Thirdly is attention. 
You must exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. You must exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. And I think this is one of the most critical challenges for you as a listener is learning to listen with a discerning ear. God holds you responsible to determine whether or not what you're hearing preached is right or biblical or accurate. And you shouldn't just accept something because the preacher said it. You, make, you need to make sure that it's what God has said. And so you need to compare everything that you hear, everything that you read with Scripture, like the Bereans, Acts 17, 11, says now the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. In other words, Paul loved the Thessalonicans. Man, they, they received the Word of God as if it was uh, Paul's preaching, as if it was the Word of God, as it actually was. But he said, man, the Bereans took it one, they were next level. They didn't just receive it as the word of God, but they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And so while many may condemn the Bereans for being nitpickers, being critical, judgmental, Luke commends them for wanting to make sure that what Paul was saying matched up with the Bible. And so if the Bereans were screening the apostle Paul who was writing and speaking under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how much more should we screen the preaching we listen to? And I don't think I need to tell you this because you know we are living in a generation that is being exposed to more religious information and instruction than any other generation in the history of the church. And the quantity and the variety of false teaching within the church today is, is astounding. It's everywhere. And yet it seems that fewer and fewer Christians today have the desire or the ability to distinguish between truth from error. They're just taking it all in and going, oh, this is all great. Which, by the way, isn't a recent problem. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hope you're getting the feel for why this took 12 weeks originally. A lot of stuff to talk about here. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 11, the writer says, concerning him, Melchizedek, referencing verse 10 there, concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You might want to bracket that or underline that phrase, dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature, and because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So the writer of Hebrews here was, was confronting his readers for their lack of discernment, that there was a lot of things he wanted to teach them, but they weren't able to understand and appreciate what he had to say. And he said the problem was they had become dull of hearing. They'd become lazy, lazy listeners who were unable to digest the deep truths of the Bible. And so like babies, they were only capable of consuming the milk of the word. Even though they had been Christians long enough, they should have graduated eating solid food. And, and the good thing about eating solid food, when you're able to eat and, I, and, I, and digest the prime rib principles of God's word, 
as you, as you feed on the word, the meat of the word, you develop a more thorough working knowledge of the scriptures, which causes you to grow in your ability to distinguish truth and error. And you're not left to crawl around like a little baby who just puts everything in their mouth because they lack the discernment knowing this is something edible and this is something not edible. Perhaps the clearest, most straightforward explanation of discernment in the Bible is found in, in Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. He says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. So we need to train ourselves to examine everything we read, everything we hear in light of the scriptures and receive what is true and reject what is not. Reject what is false. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 15, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And by the way, he was not talking about wolves dressing up as sheep, disguising themselves as sheep, but wolves disguising themselves as shepherds. The clothing of a shepherd is really literally what Jesus was saying there. In other words, the appearance of false teachers is deceiving because they disguise themselves to look like true shepherds and pastors and teachers and elders and leaders in the church. And and so if a hungry, ferocious wolf jumps over the fence into a flock of sheep, all of them will notice there's a wolf and scatter. But if he walks through the gate impersonating a shepherd, it will be hard for the sheep to tell it's a wolf just by looking at him. So how would a sheep know? I think the only way a sheep can discern whether he's a shepherd or a wolf is by listening to his, what? Voice. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 10 in that section about the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse two. He who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So as one of Christ's sheep, you have to have your ears trained to differentiate between the voice of a shepherd and the voice of a stranger so you know who to flee from and who to follow. So you need to exercise discernment while hearing God's word preached. And then lastly, fourthly, application. You must obey after hearing God's word preached. You must obey after hearing God's word preached. Hopefully you're seeing the sequence of these, right? Something that kind of is the overarching uh, idea of the gravity of the preaching of God's word, but then there's something you do before, there's something you do during, there's something you do after. And by the way, all of this is summarized very succinctly in the appendix of the book, Expository Listening, just goes through these, these uh, essentially these last three points um, of, of uh, appreciation, um, attention, and application.
And I think application, this last point, is probably the, the hardest part. Doing something about what you heard. And I think too many of us are like the people described in Ezekiel chapter 33. This is a fascinating passage. It's an obscure passage. You maybe never even got here yet because <laughs> it's just tucked away in this um, prophecy of the book of Ezekiel. This is what God was saying about the people of Israel. This is Ezekiel 33, verse 30. Ezekiel 33, verse 30. But as for you, son of man, talking to Ezekiel, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses speak to one another, each to his own brother, saying, come now and hear what the message is which comes from the Lord. They come to you as a people come, and they sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them, for they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. Evidently, Ezekiel was a captivating preacher. So much so that all the Israelites, when they heard he was going to be preaching somewhere, they would flock to hear him preach because they were intrigued, they were impressed, they were mesmerized by his sermons, but they never obeyed a single one. They just went in one ear and out the other. They merely wanted to be entertained. They saw it as this experience, like going to the show to watch Ezekiel. And yet they had no intention of ever putting into practice what they heard. I was battling this last weekend, believe it or not. Making sure I wasn't being mesmerized by the expository Jedi who was standing in this pulpit. That's what I call Jared. Um, But a very gifted expositor. And as I was, I I, I had an expositor's crush on him. You know, I was like... Wow, I want to be able to preach the word like that guy does, you know? He's, he's, a, he's really mastered the art of exposition in so many ways. And, and so was I being impressed by how he was preaching it or what he was preaching? And I think sometimes we're like, oh, I like to listen to this guy because he's got this accent. Or I like to listen to this guy because he's, he's all fiery and he's passionate. And I like to listen to this guy because of this. Well, is it the guy or is it the truth that you're drawn to? I'm sure you're familiar with the expression, practice what you preach. And those of you sitting out there, count on me to live out what I say. Nothing's more hypocritical or dishonoring to God when the preacher doesn't do what he tells his congregation to do. But I think it's just as hypocritical, it's just as dishonoring to God when the congregation doesn't do what the preacher tells them to do. You have every right to expect me to practice what I preach, but I also have every right to expect you to practice what I preach. Or in other words, to practice what you hear. Thomas Watson, again, Puritan pastor, he said, quote, if you would hear the word aright, practice what you hear. Hearing only will be no plea at the day of judgment, merely to say, Lord, I've heard many sermons. God will say, what fruits of obedience have you brought forth? 
The word preach is not only to inform you, but to reform you. If you hear the word and are not bettered by it, your hearing will increase your condemnation. And then he said this, we pity such as know not where to hear. In other words, it's easy for us at the Bible church to kind of look down our noses at the people that are going to other churches this morning that aren't teaching the word of God faithfully. It's easy for us to condemn them. We pity such as know not where to hear. It will be worse with such as care not how they hear. You might have figured out where you need to go to church to hear the word of God, but then how are you hearing the word of God is this point. To graceless, disobedient hearers, every sermon will be a stick to heat hell. Wow. Watson, you don't, you're not very nice. His point is, if you listen to the word of God and you don't obey it, you, don't, you just disobey it, it goes in one ear and out the other, well, it's evidence that you're not saved. And uh, it'll just be another stick to heat hell. He says it is sad to go to hell loaded with sermons. In other words, someone that sat in church all their life and heard tons and tons of sermons and still ended up going to hell because they never did anything about what they heard. He said, oh, beg the Spirit to make the word preached effectual. James 1, such a helpful little text here. James chapter 1 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So James is just reminding us what needs to happen in order for us to be receptive and responsive to the word of God. And by the way, when he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness, that word in the original is actually earwax. Find that compelling. But he says, he likens this thing to a mirror. And when you come to church, it's like the preacher holds up the mirror and says, this is what y'all look like today. How do you look, right? Hopefully you already looked in a mirror this morning. Y'all looked nice enough, so you probably looked in a mirror and saw what needed to be changed. Maybe your hair was out of place or needed to put, you know, needed to shave or put some makeup on or your clothes were wrinkled and needed to be pressed or something. You saw, you used the mirror. The mirror was very helpful for you today to show you what needed to change and you changed it before you came to church. How silly would it have been to look in a mirror and go, well, that's all I got and go off to church, you know, it's as good as I can do. And we'd be like, hey, can we buy you a mirror because you need a mirror. We don't do that. We, we see that and we, we make the change. He says, hey, don't do that with the word of God. You see something, change it. By the grace of God, ask him to change you. And if you do, when you look at the law of liberty, the word of God, uh, and you're not a forgetful here, but you're an effectual doer, you will be blessed in what you do. I think when we seek to change in obedience to God's word, God promises that we will be blessed. And I think this is one of the most foundational principles in all of God's word, that God blesses those who don't just hear his word, but act on it. 
One more passage and we'll be done. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, a very familiar passage. You sang songs about it when you were little if you grew up in church. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall for it had been found on the rock. Second part of the story here. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Listen, it is no coincidence that this was the closing illustration of the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. This is Jesus challenging those who had just listened to the Sermon on the Mount to put into practice what they had just heard. And I think this is a solemn warning that that our entire lives and our eternal destiny is based on how receptive and responsive we are to God's Word. I mean, this whole thing about, you know, the flood coming and smashing your house to pieces, this is like heaven and hell language here. And I think that's why David Clarkson said this, another Puritan. He said, quote, hearing is the provision made for the soul's eternal well-being. It's everlasting welfare depends on it. If you fail here, your souls perish without remedy. For salvation comes by faith and faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. It is an act of eternal consequence. According to our hearing, so shall the state of our souls be to eternity. So, in the end, it will all come down to what we did or didn't do with what God has said in his word. And so we need to listen to every sermon that we hear, whether it's here in this church or online or wherever you go, you listen in light of eternity because every sermon is truly a matter of life and death. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this helpful reminder for all of us of the incredible responsibility that we have as listeners. And uh, we confess, sometimes we put more on the preacher than is due. Sure, he better come prepared and, and give an accurate representation of the scriptures, but we have an equally important role to, to receive that, to be open and responsive and humble and teachable. And so, Lord, would you um, maximize this, this dynamic in the life of our church as the word of God is proclaimed from this pulpit and from uh, in, in the pulpit in the student ministry center and, and in the children's ministry, um, in, in the equipping classes, even in grow groups, as the word of God goes forth, that we would receive it, Lord, as not just the word of a man, but, the, but it actually is your word, and that it would accomplish its work in those of us who believe. And so, Lord, make us good listeners for your glory and for our good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.